Welcome to Convos from the Couch by Life Stance Health, where leading mental health professionals help guide you on your journey to a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Convos from the Couch by Life Stance Health. I'm Nicolette Lianza, and on this episode, I'll be talking with Abe Klein, a clinician from one of our Philadelphia offices, on the topic of destigmatizing mental health through the use of media. So welcome back, Abe. Oh, thank you so much, Nikki. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm considering this episode a, a geek therapy number two, because we had you on several months ago talking about geek therapy and looking at a broader range of using media to look at look through through the eyes of mental health. And so today I'm really interested in this topic from the point of view where we're going deeper into the woods and into the weeds with specific characters that might portray mental health symptoms and diagnoses. So this is going to be a great conversation today, for sure. Oh, yes, I am. I've been thinking about this for quite a while now. And in the capacity of this particular podcast. I've been thinking about this in general for several years. Got you. Got you. So I know you're on before and you've told us about yourself previously, but do you mind telling us a little bit more about you? Absolutely. Uh, the generally recap, I am a licensed professional counselor. I work in the Philly area, the Wayne office particularly. I'm approaching my seven-year career anniversary working post-masters, which will be next month. I specialize in working with adolescents, teens, young adults, anxiety, general life issues, neurodiversity, and geeky clientele. I am double certified in the therapeutic application, uh, tabletop role-playing games, and Dungeons and Dragons. I'm also an avid consumer of media, primarily video games, anime, and animated TV shows and movies. Great. As am I. Love, love getting into the media. Love movies myself, TV shows for sure. So how can using various forms of media help destigmatize mental health? So that's a phenomenal question. First and foremost, it gets the conversation started around something that's typically very taboo to talk about. And it's presented in a, that is, normally when we talk about mental health, it's usually presented in a very sterile way. Okay, we're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about this and that, which is important. Don't get me wrong. However, for a lot of people, especially people outside of the mental health field, it can be either uncomfortable or boring to talk about. A little stuffy feeling, right? Yeah. That's a great word for it, stuffy. And it can make it harder for people to digest it, want to talk about it, and want to learn about it. Whereas when it's presented through a story, it's a lot easier for people to stay engaged and focused, involved and interested. Furthermore, we look at the importance of representation, both for the validation of the people experiencing it, as well as helping all of us understand these things. Yeah. Now, I know you have a specific concept that you call eat your vegetables. Tell us more about that. This came up in a conversation with a friend of mine. I can't remember if it was right before or right after watching a movie that is in, from the Neon Genesis Evangelion animated series. Side note, for anyone who has not watched it, I strongly recommend you go bring a box of tissues and it is one of the best explorations of depression I've ever seen in my life. And we're talking about the importance of discussing these things in the context of media. And it occurred to me, talking about stuff like depression on its own, as I just said, may be very boring for most people, 
But if we present it in a more engaging presentation, then it becomes more interesting. Like how we in at least Western American culture learn how to eat our vegetables. When we are younger, for a lot of us, vegetables are presented to us in a very simple and often boring way. It's presented raw or steamed or boiled. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Right, right, right. A lot of people, if you don't dress it up, then it's going to be really boring and getting it down is going to be very difficult. However, it is very important. These vegetables are nutritious, extremely nutritious, and are necessary for good, healthy functioning. If you don't eat them, you're not going to get the vitamins. So looking at this eat your vegetables concept, the vegetables we are talking about is talking about and learning about mental health. As previously stated, steamed, raw, boiled veggies that are quote unquote boring was talking about mental health in normal conversations, very bland and unappetizing for most. However, the idea of roasted, stewed, grilled, stir-fried, etc., vegetables is mental health presented through media, such as books, shows, movies, video games, theater, what have you. It is more engaging and more appetizing. Appetizing. You can throw some cheese on there, some butter yeah. on there, roast yes. up, right? So yes. I love that analogy. That's a great analogy. And my mouth is watering just thinking <laughs> about that. <laughs> and honestly, it's so important what you just said about throwing some cheese or butter and whatnot in the context of the steamed vegetables. If you throw some cheese on it, that completely changes the game. Yeah. And sauce on it completely changes the game. <laughs> yes, it does. So how do clinicians assess for which type of delivery of media that's they're going to be the best for, fit for their client? So the, one of the tough things about this is that it's going to be very different from person to person because your own experience with and knowledge of media is going to be a strong guiding tool. So if you have particular experience with, let's say, fantasy novels, it's going to be a lot easier for you to assess and recommend fantasy novels to a client. Whereas if you're like me and more experienced in video games, it's going to be harder for you to recommend a fantasy novel to someone, but easier to recommend a video game to someone if that is of their area, as well as not just recommending, but assessing for. And to answer your question, the simple answer is just asking, what do you like? What are some of your favorite shows, movies, books, video games, etc.? Furthermore, considering age appropriateness, a lot of this is fairly obvious. You're not going to recommend, I don't know, some heavy war movie that talks about PTSD to a 12-year-old child. And also, and then furthermore, it is very important to look at what pieces of media will have abs aspects of it that connect to this person and the intricacies of their issue. Consider race, religion, gender, cultural identity, sexuality, etc., as guiding principles. If you are working with LGBTQIA plus clientele, it, there's, we are seeing a renaissance of this yeah. more LGBTQIA plus friendly, if not focused media is coming out. Yeah. Such that can be extremely important. Yeah. Clientele. I agree. 1000%. 
So let's jump into the weeds more and actually look at specific characters that accurately portray and destigmatize mental health symptoms. So let's first start with Disney's Inside Out, that amazing film. (laughs) When that came out, I want to say I was still in grad school and it meant so much to me seeing this discussed in a such a wonderful and engaging forum as a Pixar movie. And whenever I talk about Inside Out with my clientele, and I do it on a roughly weekly to monthly basis, <laughs> pretty you can't be a new client of mine without me at some point saying, have you seen Inside Out? If not, you should watch it. If you have, you should rewatch it. Inside Out does a great job of showing to people the importance of understanding our emotions on a deeper level. It explores sadness as an emotion. It looks at the importance of sitting with our emotions rather than fighting them, the consequences of toxic positivity. And my personal favorite aspect of this that I teach all of my clients, a phrase I call the utility of emotion. Tell us more about that. What's that? Yes, please. The Utility of emotion was something that we as we often don't understand and apply is that all of our emotions serve a very utilitarian purpose. And Inside Out explores this very well. The first scene of the movie goes through the utilitarian purpose of every single one of the main character Riley's emotions, except for sadness. We see joy pop up and it explains it. Okay. Joy rewards Riley for doing things that are good for her. They don't say it exactly in those words. Yeah. You do a thing that helps you connect with people. Here's the happy chemical. Good job. Anger serves to protect her, help her to feel righted when she is wrong. Anger being an emotion that we in our culture often view as inherently quote unquote negative when anger is merely neutral. It's utilized, understood and used. So then we see fear. Fear serves to protect Ryan. And disgust serves to protect her from being poisoned. And ironically, in a scene where she is being fed vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the beginning of the movie, we see Joy, one of the main characters, narrating this whole utility concept. And then she gets a sadness and she says, I don't know what she's doing here. She just Brings down the mood, (laughs) which is a lot of the, a lot of, first of all, it is a great representation of how we as a society view the concept of sadness, be avoided, to be crushed and destroyed and completely removed. When that's not necessarily the case, it is very important and healthy to experience sadness within healthy boundaries emotion and the concept of toxic positivity here we see joy who is essentially the center of all the problems in the movie her being okay positive vibes only good vibes only no no sadness no you're the sadness you're bringing down the mood what are you doing there's this beautiful scene where riley the main character she and her family has just moved to san francisco i believe it is from their home in somewhere in the midwest And she's walking along with her mother and she starts to feel sad because she misses her old home. Sadness comes in and is 
doing her job as sadness to make Riley feel sad, the utilitarian purpose right. of sadness. And, you know, Joy sees this, immediately jumps in, throws her aside and says, oh, no, we need to have fun. We need to have fun. Now, if, you know, in, in the context of the movie, she does this and this propagates the issues that leads to later in the movie, Riley having essentially a depressive shutdown which leads to conflict later in the movie. Now, if Joy had not done that, if the moment Joy tried to do that, anger came along, grabbed her, tossed her out the window, and said, all right, Sadness, do your, my best Lewis Black impression. (laughs) (laughs) And Sadness said, okay. And B, the role of Sadness would do its thing. Riley would express, oh, I am sad. I miss my old home, which shows the, role of sadness as an emotion which is shown at the end of the movie it serves up to help us communicate to others that we are in distress we need support and comfort and in that scene she riley would have been like oh i'm sad i miss my old home and mom would say oh my gosh honey i'm so sorry blah 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 blah. here mom will hug her and they go off and they do something fun together having that comforting moment I really love this film because it's a one of those films that if you're an adult, you can find things to enjoy about it if you're a kid. And even more important is that for kids, it's helping them start to explore their own emotions. It's teaching about emotions. And it's so key because that's how we build our insight and understanding ourselves. And so it does expose kids at a younger age as they're watching this film of, wow, these are these different things. And even the point of, like you were saying, who wants to feel sad and sadness? Who wants to feel those uncomfortable emotions? Mm-hmm. Want to avoid those. But one thing when it comes to therapy, we are showing people how to sit in the emotion to yes. allow it to just be there and to make room for it. So it's an excellent example of a film there exactly. for sure. And I often will tell my clients the importance of that sitting with and understanding your emotions, letting them deliver their message. Because if you don't, they just come back louder, yes. angrier going to squeak out somehow some way exactly and often it gets worse yeah give it that space i agree let's shift gears let's talk about the anime character naruto oh yeah now we're getting into my area (laughs) so as i'm a big fan of anime i have been since i was a small child I want to say it was early middle school and watching the proliferation of enjoyment of anime across our culture has been so validating and exciting for me. And going into this, I thought to myself, okay, what are some characters that I am a little more knowledgeable about that some people in the more general populace would know? And Naruto hit me and it. I thought, you know what? There's a lot of people who are now young adults, adults who earlier in their life, they Watch this character who is a phenomenal example of attention deficit hyperactive disorder and neurodiversity in general. Yeah. And and he we see that he is impulsive. He gets into trouble throughout his childhood. He is labeled as a troublemaker. The villagers dislike him and outcast him for his behavior of wrecking things and graffitiing and also the fact that he is the spirit of the world's strongest demon inside him against his will, but that's irrelevant. <laughs> He also can't focus to save his life. Now, to the converse of that, we also see across the series, we see good qualities that we often see in line with people with ADHD. Mm-hmm. He's passionate. 
He is enthusiastic. He's energetic. When he's passionate about something, he gets into it. He does it well. He puts his entire being into it. The first episode is a perfect example of this. The first episode, he, long and short, he gets manipulated by one of his teachers at the ninja school he goes to for learning how to be a ninja. He, so side note, for those who don't know, the series of Naruto is about character Naruto Uzumaki on his quest to become a great ninja. He works with and meets a lot of people along the way who are also great ninja and or are training to be great ninjas themselves. So one of his teachers basically manipulates him into stealing this very powerful scroll containing all kinds of incredible magical secrets in it and says, yeah, steal this and bring this to me blah, 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 I'll teach you great things, this and that. And Naruto says, yeah, sure, okay. And there's more to it than that. I'm oversimplifying. And he ends up taking this scroll and in a period of a few hours, learns everything in it and proceeds to, he is known for his one skill, the shadow clone jutsu, which basically he can make clones of himself magically. And for this is a skill that a lot of ninja in this have however the average ninja can maybe make i don't know one to three at a time in the beginning of the episode we see him using this skill in school when he initially learns it he can barely make he goes he pours over this scroll learns how to make 50 of them at once perfectly and when he comes to learn that this teacher had tricked him for this says all right cool i'm going to show you what i learned in the scroll that you made me steal i'm going to kick your butt and he proceeds to beat the tar out of him it's great <laughs> and then furthermore naruto is creative we see this in a lot of our clientele and people in our lives who have adhd they are super creative example of this we see him later on in the series he is trying to learn i forget what it is exactly he's trying to learn some special application of his of a technique he learns and his two teachers at the time are like okay it's going to take you a few weeks to a few months to master this and he says uh, that that's going to take too long how do you do this faster the teachers say i don't know and then naruto thinking okay how can i do this he realizes hey wait a minute when i make my clones when they disappear after they are done being clones I gain all of the knowledge and experience they had. So if I make a bunch of clones and we're all practicing this at once, when they disappear at the end of their time being a clone, which, you know, is until either they get hit hard enough or he chooses to retract them, he gains everything they learned. Okay. This beautiful scene of him and 20 clones of him just all standing there practicing this technique, and he learns it in a week. I, I think this is a great demonstration of those aspects of ADHD. I think this really very much parallels what you're seeing with Naruto and that character, and what we see aspects of people who have ADHD as well. So that's a great example. Exactly. Thank you. It's we often see with kids, especially with ADHD, they get labeled as a troublemaker because. Their, their biologically driven impulsivity and the related behavioral issues. And that's what they get labeled as. And often for these kids, they come to really internalize that of, I'm right. a, I can't help doing these things. 
instead of learning, this is something that is a difficult aspect of myself. Let me look at how can I, or people in their life coming and saying, how do we help to address these things? And how do we help to show that you are more than just your impulsive and also creative? You are this, you are that. The superpowers behind also ADHD, right? Exactly. Superpowers is such a great way to phrase this. We talked about this with our neurodiverse clientele of how, yes, there are some aspects of the way your brain is constructed that is going to make things difficult for you. Absolutely. There are also aspects of that are your superpowers. We're going to shift gears and hit our final character. And this character is from a video game called Persona 5. And it's the character Futaba. So tell us about Futaba. Oh, oh, this is, I love Futaba so much. And we could do an entire, an entire episode about her as a character. And to put it most simply, Futaba is the most well done example of autism coding in a character that I have ever seen in my life to date. And I've seen quite a few good ones in the past few years. Furthermore, she also, we see her as an example of, as I said, autism, neurodiversity. We see her going through grief and we see in her a great example of an orphan and foster parent situation. She is initially born to a single mother. We see some aspect of that in her past, we then see in the current situation, after the mother has died, initially it is claimed that she committed suicide. Mm -hmm. However, find out later, it was actually that she was killed by someone. And we see Futaba processing all this amid her connecting with her foster parent, who was one of the mother's close friends. So it covers autism spectrum disorder with this character, as well as foster care and navigating foster care too. So hitting two birds with one stone with that. Absolutely. And this, we talked about representation and I feel like this is so important because we see representation in a couple areas, particularly some areas that get heavily stigmatized. But to give further context here with Futaba as a character, these, I, what we see that are the autism coding aspects of her, we see or eye contact. She can, she, every time we see her, she's rarely ever looking straight at someone's face. She's usually looking in a different direction, looking at the ground. She has very odd sitting positions. Whenever we see the main characters together, side note, she's a teenager. All the main characters are teenagers. The whole series is about these teenagers who gain superpowers to go into people's minds and help to rid them of their warped desires to create a better world. So there are points where they are going in and spending time with her, helping her to better acculturate to society after being isolated for a long time. And we see her kind of sitting in her chair in her room, in her computer chair, but she's not sitting on her butt. She is squatted in it in this kind of crouched position. And it is so, I see this with so many of my clientele on the spectrum. It is rarely ever do I see them actually sitting but in the chair, legs forward, it's draping themselves or they're crouching or this and that. We see this, as I said, isolation. She has up until the point of where the story comes in, she is isolated due to her trauma, being bullied, have, which we often see with a lot of people on the spectrum. They get made fun of for being quote unquote 
weird that she isolates. And a lot of her story in that game is learning to break out of that, learn to love herself and how she is, and to connect with others. She has special interests. She is a world-class hacker. She is incredible with technology. We see that throughout the game. She has extreme discomfort with being perceived by people, especially new people. There is this iconic scene where she is coming out to meet the main group of characters for the first time in real life, outside of the context of the magical brain realm that they go into. And she's very scared of being perceived. And that is something that we often see with our clientele on the spectrum. And so she comes out wearing this goofy full head mask thing. And all of the characters look at her and they say, Utaba, why are you wearing this? And she's like, ah, I don't want to be looked at. And they say, okay, cool. And she proceeds to, they proceed to accept her for that. Over time, she adjusts and acculturates and comes to feel more comfortable in this. Uh, she has a lot of difficulty with reading and understanding people, situations, and context, which we often see with neurodiverse people, not just in the context of spectrum, but neurodiversity in general, existing in a very neurotypically driven, constructed society. That's a well way to say that, quite way to say that. Thank you so much. And it is so, our society is built around neurotypical functioning. It is starting to shift a little bit for understanding and welcoming of more neurodiverse functioning. However, we are not there yet. She has also extreme difficulty with small talk. We see with a lot of our clientele who are neurodiverse in general, but especially on the spectrum, they have a lot of difficulty talking about talking small talk and are more, they want to talk about the things that really grasp their interest, their right. focus. And on those things, they can go talk, talk, but, you know, uh, what, how about that weather? Yeah, it's raining. <laughs> yeah, it was really warm yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, unseasonably. <laughs> Tell me about that show you just watched the other day. <laughs> oh my God. And they go. It really does sound like she definitely matches a lot of those characteristics of what we would see with people on the spectrum. And especially for someone who's on the spectrum playing the game, it would be amazing to be like, wow, I can relate to this character. And that's, it's really great representation we know matters. And so to see it in this video game, which I'm not personally familiar with this video game, but it's amazing that you're kind of sharing this with us to make us more aware. Oh, it's Persona 5 and more so it's more expanded version Persona 5 Royal is my absolute favorite game ever. It means so much to me. And everyone out there, if you have a PlayStation 4, a PlayStation 5, or a Nintendo Switch, or, a, oh wait, they also just brought this out for uh, Xbox One, please go play Persona 5 Royal as soon as you can. Run, don't walk to your local game store <laughs> to purchase Persona 5 Royal. But it's it absolutely does that great job. And what you were saying about for people on the spectrum, seeing this, seeing that rep representation is so important. I once had a client who had recently been diagnosed with autism, who in their like later in life was diagnosed with this. And I said, hey, you might want to check out this game. I think that you will really connect with this character. And they said, okay, I'll give it a try. 
three weeks later, they come in, they look me right in the face and they say, Abe Futaba is me. Holy hell. Abe Klein was right. <laughs> and I think Abe, this is the whole point of why we're even doing this episode. So moments like that can happen where a client can be like, wow, thank you. That was great. Exactly. And to cap this off, we also see with her, she is creative. She is compassionate. She is ridiculously intelligent and capable. And all of this is what we see in our clientele with autism. Often we see a one particular depiction of autism in media, which is that like emotionless robot, savant, blah, 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 which is one presentation, right. the presentation. And this shows that a lot more in a more diverse manner. My gosh, Abe, thank you. This episode has been amazing. And I know our listeners are going to listen to each of these three different characters that you presented. And hopefully we'll go back and either play the game Persona 5 or rewatch Naruto or rewatch Inside Out and look at it through the point of view of a mental health lens of looking at emotions looking at ADHD from Ruto's point of view, or even Spectrum. So thank you. Thank you. Gladly. You're very welcome. <laughs> I'd also like to thank the team behind our podcast, Jason Clayton, Juliana Whitten, and Chris Kelman. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.